this episode, my two cats are having a grand old time chasing around a little beetle that had the misfortune of ending up inside my home. I can't guarantee it, but I'm pretty sure the cats are going to win. Unless they get bored. Now I understand that not everyone out there has the same inordinate fondness of insects that I do, but I do recognize that are, there are some concerns when it comes to the world of arthropods, whether it's insects, spiders, or other little critters. And that comes into play when we're discussing insects, and their arthropod relatives that are known to vector diseases, especially in this category. And it's there that I want to start today's episode. If you're like me, you're probably made a bit uncomfortable around spiders. It's actually taken me quite a while to become comfortable handling and just being around arachnids, especially the arachnids, the spiders. I used to be terrified of them, completely just scared out of my wits when I would see them. Over time, I got used to the idea of what they were. I learned a lot about them and I became to understand that they weren't really a threat to me. I've gotten to the point where I now actually have two pet tarantulas. One is a red rump. She's quite beautiful with a shiny red bum and quite beautiful black legs and cephalothorax, her head area. And the other is a Chilean rosehair tarantula. This is the one that is most commonly seen in pet stores and elsewhere. Both of mine happen to be procured at a local reptile and invertebrate show. They were both purchased from reputable dealers and were bred by those individuals. Sadly, that isn't always the case for our arthropod and reptile and amphibian friends. A recent article in the New York Times talked a little bit about this in pertaining to reptiles and amphibians, and they cited a study from 2011 which looked at the trade of the green python out of Indonesia, and it came out that approximately 80% of the green pythons exported from that country were actually obtained illegally between the years of August 2009 and April 2011. And this practice, as I said, is not unique to the reptile and amphibian world. This is a big concern for a number of arthropod species, including a number of millipedes, tarantulas, uh, cockroaches, believe it or not. There are a number of resources out there to obtain local breeder reared and safely obtained arthropods if you want to explore or experience the joys of having an exoskeleton laden critter in your household. They make great pets. The Madagascar hissing cockroach is a much better pet for a kid than a hamster far less things you need to worry about, and they don't smell nearly as bad. Plus, they have tricks. They hiss at you. But much like if you're going to be adopting a cat or a dog or purchasing from a breeder, you want to do your due diligence. So please apply that to your reptiles and arthropod purchases. Well, what on earth does any of this have to do with my cats chasing after a little beetle? Spoilers, the beetle didn't win. Well, it's simple. Arthropods, insects, spiders, lobsters, crabs, there are even little crabs that people keep as pets, not just your little hermit crabs. The trafficking of these species and just the general movement of humans across the world has led to the spread of multiple species coming into new areas. 
Some of these species become established and can wreak havoc. Some of these species become established but are just generally there and don't really do particularly anything one way or the other. They just seem to exist. But there is always the potential for a species, especially a non-native species, to become a significant problem. If you live in many parts of the United States, I'm sure you are familiar with the brown marmorated stink bug. These invasive critters came over here a number of years ago and have simply made their way across the country. They end up in our homes over the winter. You might not even really see them for most of the winter. They'll come in in the late fall, attracted by the temperature change. And then when the light changes in the spring, the daylight lengthens and the temperatures start to warm up outside, they will move and become more active indoors in order to attempt to leave our buildings. Generally harmless to inside, but they can be potentially very devastating outdoors, especially to agricultural crops. They are a significant pest causing damage to tomatoes, apples, beans, and a number of other species. The problem is they become really quite established in this country and a number of others, and it's going to be very difficult to deal with them and probably very impossible to eradicate them. I'm sure a number of you may have heard of the emerald ash borer, another species that was brought here. Significant attempts, very serious, intense attempts were made to attempt to eradicate the species, removing all of the ash trees that they could possibly overwinter in or just survive in, uh, to no avail. Those species are very well established, especially here in the Midwest and Northern states and Eastern states. I have a favorite anecdote of why I kind of take the show Bones with a grain of salt. There was an episode where Hodgins was able to identify the exact location of a dead body, and it was because the individual had been found with the elytra, or the, the hard shell, the hard uh, forewing of a beetle, the rare elytra of the emerald ash borer. And Thousands, okay, hundreds of entomologists groaned at that. The emerald ash borer, even at that time, was fairly common and uh, unfortunately making its way to a very strong population level in many parts of the country. But what do bugs, beetles, and my frustration with crime scene television programs have to do with this podcast episode? What does it have to do with pythons in Indonesia? Well, I'm getting there in a very tangential way, and this is only a small snippet of how my brain works on any given day. In August of 2017, a concerned resident of Hunterdon County in New Jersey brought some ticks that were found on their pet sheep. This was a, an older sheep that had been there for a long time. It was their pet and they found these ticks on it. They brought them to the Department of Agriculture and wanted to know what they were. Well, they weren't really sure. So they ran all of the tests that they could for livestock diseases, looking for Q fever, anaplasmosis, heart, wa heart water, and other various blood parasites, making sure that nothing had been vectored or transmitted from the tick to the sheep. The scientists and resident had a sigh of relief when, when those, those tests came back negative. But unfortunately, what they found out was this tick, or these ticks, were not a native species. They were an invasive species from parts of Asia, known as the brush tick or longhorn tick. Hemophysalis longicornis is a species of tick, which is of course essentially a mite. Mites and ticks are the same thing. If you talk to an acarologist, someone that studies mites and ticks, they will tell you this. 
So Longicornis is a species of tick that is native to Asia, and this creature is a significant pest of a number of livestock species, some cattle, horses, farmed deer, sheep, and goats over in its native range. It has even been found to be a pest of other wildlife species, pets, and humans. So essentially, the nature of this species' life cycle, requiring multiple hosts, makes it a potential problem for a number of different species. As these ticks were identified and found in the late fall, and as Eddard Stark would say, winter was coming, they held out and hoped that this species would not be able to overwinter. And as seems all too common nowadays, a continuing survey was done and those ticks did survive the winter. This was confirmed recently as of April 17th of 2018. Treatment and eradication measures are being taken. So far, this is found in one very small area, and we are trying, well, not we, I'm not there. I would love to be, I love ticks, as long as they are not on me. But efforts are underway to keep these contained so we don't see a murmured stink bug or an emerald ash borer. We do have the methods to keep these things contained and prevent them from becoming a serious problem. And that comes from the hard efforts of members of the state and federal departments of agriculture, members of university and even industry get involved in these types of efforts. There's often even opportunities for those who want to volunteer to help out with some of these efforts, especially when they get to a much larger scale. And that's why we engage the citizens to engage in citizen science projects and even just open and speak with your local extension officers and your local universities, especially your land grants. Those are the ones that are going to be more involved, often more involved with these sorts of efforts. Now, I'm not going to lie. Something like this is very difficult, especially when we're dealing with a species that can lay from around 800 to 2,000 eggs in the midsummer in one season. And with this particular species, only a few ticks can do this, but this happens to be one. The females engage in parthenogenesis. Essentially, they can clone themselves. They don't need the male there to have offspring. Generally speaking, in species that do this, and there's a big asterisk on there on that with that generally, uh, the offspring won't have the same numbers as if she had engaged in biological sexual intercourse and then had a more genetically diverse set of offspring. So I guess there's that going for you, but continuing to monitor, treat, and maintain these areas can help stop the spread, if not impede it completely and eradicate it, hopefully. For those of you in New Jersey who are concerned or would simply like to know more or want to be involved, contact the New New Jersey Division of Fish and Wildlife Bureau of Wildlife Management. Their phone number is 908-637-4173, extension 120. I am pulling that information from their website and I will link this in the show notes. So please feel free to share and even look up your own state Department of Agriculture, Vector Disease, whomever it is that's involved in the arthropod communities and research projects where you are located. It may not be that your state uh, Department of Ag or even your Department of Health may not be involved in these. In that case, you would want to look to your local land-grant university or uh, just your, your agricultural university to begin with, and they can give you a good starting place if you want to know more. And once again, I'm saying this phrase, what does this have to do with the pythons and the cats and all of that? Well, you know what? Probably nothing. But as with the trade and movement of animals and people around the world, 
it's not just humans that are moving. It is the things and pests associated with us that move too. That's how we ended up with the Asian longhorn beetle in southern Ohio, which they are now working really hard to keep from spreading. And you may not think about it, but there are a number of tick species that actually do embed and feed on reptiles. Now, this species is, I'm pretty sure, not one of the reptile feeding species. They normally don't jump groups like that. But the risk is still there for possibly those illegally obtained or even maybe legally obtained pythons uh, that are not, that maybe slip through the cracks and possibly bring something with them. Or even a horse that's traveling from country to country may be missed. Uh, or a tick species or other parasite may be missed. Uh, there is always that concern, which is why we have those, ser those services from the federal, the state, and universities working diligently, keeping our ecological habitats and even our economy safe. And that's it for today's episode. I realize that's a bit weird, but it's just some things that were on my mind and happened to come across my desk recently. Do you have anything you want to know about? I am going to be putting together a Q&A episode coming up. I'm thinking for episode 15. So go ahead and send an email over to bugsbloodandbones at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page if you want to try and get a hold of me. That's also Bugs, Blood, and Bones. I've been working on two very special episodes to bring to you, and I hope to have them out soon within the next couple of months. I've been quite busy, and I'm hoping you will enjoy them. I know I am, because they're both two of my favorite things to talk about. I'll let that idea stew in your minds. As always, the Underscore Orchestra provides the wonderful music for this podcast. Please go check them out. And until next time, remember kids, keep calm and carry in.